0: Hi, my friends. Anne Louise Gittleman here for First Lady of Nutrition Podcast, and it's my great pleasure and delight to welcome Dr. Gary Gruen, who is a chemical, mechanical, and material science engineer who has created the healthiest sunscreen on the market, among other wonderful discoveries. So, Dr. Gruen, how are you today, and can you shed some light on the ugly truth about sunscreens?
1: I'm doing great considering everything that's going on and I hope you're well too and I'm 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 anxious to do that for you absolutely Ann Louise
0: All right so t- true or false all sunscreens are unhealthy is this true or false do we actually need a little bit of sun for vitamin D and other photo nutrition
1: Well I would say the answer to the question is they're not all they're not all unhealthy and absolutely we all need vitamin D and for good health and and to, as part of our nutritional basis, and certainly as you and and I assume all of your listeners know, vitamin D is something you're going to get from about 15 minutes in broad daylight with you know very few clouds in the sky, uh, which we have here in Virginia Beach today, and that's enough for you to get a, a daily dose of your vitamin D. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of us, uh, especially now are confined to our homes or our offices or whatever and you don't get a lot of sunlight and so you may or may not get enough vitamin d especially in the winter time um depending where you live so uh via, so sunscreens uh, your question was are they all unhealthy and i think the answer is the mineral-based sunscreens are primarily very healthy depending on what else is in them uh, some of them have some toxins many of them have toxins in them and the toxins can you do you more harm than good and we can talk about that more
0: very good so i want to unpack that a little bit my understanding is that there are a lot of sun care products on the market today that contain ingredients that many of us should 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 avoid and I can say that with some certainty because I've just done some research for a new book I'm coming out with in 2021 called Radical Longevity. So what I need to know is what is toxic? What do people have to look for when it comes to uh, ingredients on other sun care products?
1: Great question. So I think what you have to do as a consumer is break sunscreens into two categories. The first category would be what they call organic sunscreens that are not mineral-based sunscreens. The organic sunscreens, the reason they call them that is because they are a chemical concoction of organic molecules, meaning carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. So they're not organic like a, like a food or a beverage that you would buy that would be organic. They're organic only in name and only in chemi- chemical name. So, these organic sunscreens contain things like oxybenzone, benzophenone, and methoxycinamate. Back in uh, 2000, which is when I started in on all this, um, there was an article written by a woman toxicologist from the University of Zurich, Margaret Schlumpf, and she had taken these organic sunscreen additives and slathered them on the back of female rats and what happened was the female rats had an unusually large um, increase in the size of their uterus, and she determined by this that these female rats were getting female-mimicking hormones through these sunscreen additives, and so the methoxycinnamate, the oxybenzone, the avobenzone, these are all organic sunscreens, and the reason that they're used is because they are transparent when, they put, when they're put on your skin. So they are UV filters. Um, unfortunately, all of them except for avobenzone only filter out UVB, and we'll get to that next. Um, so with the organic sunscreens, the major components of the active sunscreen, which prevents you hopefully from burning and also hopefully from skin cancer, and we'll get to that too, they are very toxic, and and endocrine disruptors, female-mimicking hormones, uh, are certainly not good for men, and they're actually not good for women either. They've been linked to breast cancer and prostate cancer, uh, among other things. Um, So you certainly don't want to use the organic sunscreens. Those really are uh outdated they were start. that work was started when we were talking about suntan lotion you remember those days probably oh,
0: oh yes <laughs>
1: oh yes oh yeah. So, yeah suntan lotion and that's how the whole industry started with copper tone and uh the, the the baby whose bottom was uh pulled away bottom shorts were pulled away that you could see her bare butt and you could see that she had a tan and that was in the suntan lotion days well copper tone is still around and of course now they make sunscreens instead of suntan lotion because the FDA has been involved.
0: True.
1: Um, but not to get too diverse from the other sunscreen. So the mineral sunscreens are either titanium or zinc oxide based products. Um, there seems to be a body of evidence that the titanium dioxide products are not uh, very stable Correct. and that they can, form, they, can, they can also form some uh, toxic substance when the sun hits them. And and like the organic sunscreens, when the sun hits them, they don't remain the same chemical that they were when you put it on your skin. They start to break apart and form free radicals, and free radicals can lead to all kinds of deleterious health issues as well. So the mineral sunscreens really boils down to, does it have zinc oxide? And if it has just pure zinc oxide, that's probably what I call the best of the worst. In other words, it's probably a pretty good product. It's probably healthy. It probably will cause you to have, um, when you are being overexposed, to be preventative preventative, and not harm your skin and actually keep you, uh, at least allow you to be outside at least part of the day, especially if it's in broad daylight and you're being overexposed. The reason that I developed all this is because I like to surf. And 20 years ago, I had two 20-year-old kids at different times over a two-year period. And they both got melanoma.
0: I didn't and know, I know that that's... way. Whoa, whoa, I didn't. <laughs> I, that's a piece of your puzzle, of your bio puzzle that I never realized. So you right. had two girls that got melanoma. What was that? Uh, actually,
1: actually, actually, guys that I surfed with. Um, oh, the, oh the guys. I'm sorry. Yep yep they actually uh, surfed with me and at different times and they were both told the same thing by two different dermatologists that they went to see is they could continue to surf but they would get melanoma again and i i couldn't believe it and so both of these kids who were i think the oldest of the two was 20 neither one of them surfed anymore after that so you know they took away all their they, and they both enjoyed the sport But they, you know, when the dermatologist scared the bejeebers out of them and said, you're going to get skin cancer if you continue this, they said, well, it's not worth it. So I'm just not going to surf anymore. Well, I said, that's ridiculous. You know, there's got to be a way to solve this problem. And at that time, this is back in the early 90s, I went to Australia. And there, as you probably know, almost everyone lives on the coast. They don't, nobody lives inland because it's a desert. Um, and so there, you know, they, they have a sun index on the radio every day as well as a pollution index. And I wound up realizing that they were not using these organic quote unquote organic sunscreens like we were in the USA. They were using titanium dioxide and just starting to use zinc oxide. And the problem with the mineral sunscreens, of course, is they're very whitening unless they're nano sized particles that make them essentially clear. And people don't realize that zinc oxide was really the first nanoparticle commercial substance sold anywhere in the world. Um, And, of course, we we developed a sunscreen that has these zinc oxide, quote-unquote, nanoparticles. However, ours are larger than nano because nanos become a problem, too. People are concerned about nano primarily because of inhalation. Uh, if, If nanoparticles of dust get in the air, you get, like, coal miners' lung. Uh, And the other reason they're concerned about it is some of the nanoparticles might penetrate into the bloodstream as nanoparticles and cause other harmful things to happen. But that's really very unproven and actually sort of just um, sort of a bad marketing image. People say, well, I don't want nanoparticles on my skin, but they really don't know what that means.
0: So so just to reiterate, most sunscreens that are still on the market, they contain the synthetic chemical components. They also act as endocrine disrupting agents, which are very estrogenetic. They can suppress the immune system and they can affect reproduction. So with all of this and the experience that you had with your two surfing buddies, you actually created something which is not synthetic that apparently is edible does not contain the endocrine-disrupting ingredients, and it's good for the immune system. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what its magical ingredient is?
1: Yes, so exactly correct and perfect. And and so the the answer to your question is, we developed something that was a non-endocrine-disrupting cytoprotective, immuno-enhancing complex, sunscreen. That sounds like a lot, so it means no female-mimicking hormones, no toxins, uh, cytoprotective to protect the cells from becoming precancerous, and immuno-enhancing using uh, aromatherapeutic agents, including frankincense and rosemary, um, which were muscle tested by several of the uh, kinesiologists and, and, and chiropractors that I've worked with over the last 20 years. So that's how we came about this formula, and it turned out that to develop this product without it having any toxicity whatsoever, and we tested for toxicity um, with a bioassay, uh, something called Luciferase, to determine if in fact those, any of the compounds in our product were, were in any way cytotoxic or toxic to the assay, to the bioassay, which is the Luciferase enzyme, which is used for lighting up fireflies. So we, we actually uh, published that, that uh, in a white paper in the Journal of Toxicology in 2005, and we were the only sunscreen developed that didn't have any toxins whatsoever and we could prove it. Um, so we say, pretty simply, if you can't put it in your mouth or you wouldn't put it in your mouth after you read the ingredients, you really shouldn't put it on your skin. Your skin's your biggest organ. And as you know, we're trying to improve the health of your skin and your immuno health condition in the presence of the sun because the sun is the biggest free radical generator there is. It causes, uh, with UV radiation, it causes free radical damage on your skin, which eventually can lead to DNA damage and eventually aging and wrinkling and potentially skin cancer if there's enough mutation of enough cells. So that's how we came about this formulation. And what we use is something called chelated zinc oxide. So we chelate with something called L-arginine, which is an essential amino acid. And by doing that, we've changed the zinc oxide to remaining just pure zinc oxide and never becoming zinc hydroxide, which is a salt. So all the other mineral sunscreens that use zinc oxide, they allow the zinc oxide to become zinc hydroxide because what happens is they don't chelate with L-arginine. They don't change the pH of the zinc oxide. And by definition, that product is acidic to begin with. And our product is very, very alkaline. In fact, our pH is above nine and a half. And what that does is it causes a very, very stable emulsion, which we make with just glycerin and kosher glycerin, USP grade glycerin, that we keep stable in the presence of the sun. It stays stable in the bottle, it stays stable forever because we don't require an emulsion to make it. And what happens is because of that, we have stability and we've basically created what the lifeguards you've seen put on their nose, which is pure zinc oxide, and we've made it into a lotion.
0: So I have another question. Sure. Where do you think, with, with all of this wonderful technology that you have developed, and with all the science that you're so deeply immersed in, where do you think all this skin cancer is actually coming from? It, obviously, it's not just sun exposure, although is that part of it? And where does melanoma come from in your humble estimation?
1: Well, it is mine because I'm not a dermatologist, but I work very closely with one who is, and that's Dr. Eric Bernstein, who's one of the leading dermatologists on the East Coast, and started DAC-DAC laboratories with mice to determine what did, in fact, cause um, the skin cancer that's prevalent. If you live to be 65 in the United States, there's a 50-50 chance, that you'll get some form of skin cancer, which is just incredible to me. It really means that the sunscreens aren't working. It also means that there may be issues with the sunscreens. But to me, the issue is overexposure. So it's very, very simple. If you're like me and you go outside and you surf and you're outside on the beach for two or three or four or five hours or you're on a boat or you're fishing or you're playing golf or tennis and you're out there for more than an hour or two, you are by definition being overexposed to the sun are out there today, um, they are all determined by SPF, in other words, Sun Protection Factor. Um, I'm sure everybody who listens to this uh, will remember that they are supposed to buy SPF products that are at least 15 and more preferably 30. But what does that mean? Well SPF is Sun Protection Factor and it has to do only with UVB radiation or UVB rays. These are the short, high-energy rays that cause you to burn. So the FDA, unfortunately, has it very upside down. And I know you can understand that, and your listeners can too, that the FDA is saying, well, if we prevent you from burning, you'll be safe. Well, unfortunately, that's not true, because you can use any kind of stuff, whether it's toxic or good for you, and put it on your skin. And you'll get an SPF rating of. uh, for water, for example. The SPF is 2 for oil, it's four. Uh, for the sunscreens, the organic sunscreens, they increased the SPF tremendously all the way up to 30, 40, 50. And until 2011, you could even have SPFs up to 100. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's say for you or me, Anne Louise, uh, 20 minutes in the sun with an SPF 30, that sun protection 30, you'll supposedly get 600 minutes of protection from turning pink or turning just red. Well, that's 600 minutes is 10 hours um, in, in, in the broad daylight where you supposedly wouldn't get burnt. Well, that's nice, but it gives you a false sense of security even if it was true that it could last 10 hours. Even if it was true that you would have an SPF 30 and it gave you 10 hours of protection and you didn't turn red, what would happen is you'd be exposed to something called UVA. And you'd be overexposed to UVA. And the UVA is the long penetrating rays that cause DNA damage, aging wrinkling mutations, and eventually skin cancer if you're overexposed to UVA enough. Um, When we were growing up, if you remember, if you ever got sunburned, you would go to bed and you wake up sore. Well, the reason for that is something called chain scission. So what happens is that UV radiation is causing breakage of the bonds of of literally the DNA in your skin, and what's happening is your, your skin is trying to repair itself, and, and you really, your skin has become inflamed, and the inflammation doesn't allow you to repair the cells properly. And so, over time, it'll heal, but you, you wake up sore from that invisible UVA radiation, which is really what causes the damage. So, when getting back to your original question, was what is responsible for all this skin cancer? I think the answer is a false sense of security when you use SPF products that are high like 30, 40, 50. You're not supposed to allow, the FDA supposedly in 2011 outlawed SPF higher than 50 um, for the same reason that they didn't want people to get a false sense of security. However, uh, they don't require that it has UVA protection. Uh, They only require that if you don't have what they call broad spectrum protection that you have to put it on the bottle that it's not broad spectrum protection, meaning UVA and UVB. So again, UVB are the short, penetrating rays, meaning when I say short, short wavelength, anything from 290 to 330 nanometers, and the UVA is from like 330 to 420 nanometers, those are the much longer penetrating rays that will damage your skin more and cause DNA damage, and, and eventually, if your immune system can't handle it, eventually skin cancer. So I think the, the prevalence of skin cancer has to do with both the false sense of security, the fact that people uh, normally don't heed the fact that they shouldn't be overexposed. Of course, if you're if you're enjoying the, the outside and you want and you're active and you want to be on a boat or you want to fish or you want to do anything outside, by definition you're going to get overexposed. And of course, you can put a hat on, you can put clothes on, but then you're going to get uncomfortable by doing that. And of course, there, the question is, well, what could you put on that's going to make you safe from both UVB and UVA? And the answer is zinc oxide that really is the only thing that's not toxic and will protect you from both uva and uvb and then the question is how much zinc oxide and in what form should the zinc oxide be and that comes back to what i mentioned before about not being able to create zinc hydroxide which is what all the other mineral sunscreens do and the zinc hydroxide is a salt which doesn't have the same UVA, UVB protection, and so the zinc hydroxide also causes the emulsion to fall apart, um, and I can talk about that too.
0: So you know, when you talk about zinc, and, and we're we're still in the age of the coronavirus. When we're doing our taping now, it's the getting to be the peak of the of the virus. We're yes. also looking at zinc as being a really key mineral, a major antiviral mineral in preventing the virus from replicating. So do, yes. you, th- do you think that the, the use of zinc topically would, cannot be absorbed internally into the system so it's a good source of zinc that we're obviously exceedingly deficient in?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And, and I mean, the, the, the black and white answer to that is, I don't know. Um, I would say the following. Uh, there was a study done when this Margaret Schlumpf uh, developed the understanding that these uh, sunscreens were toxic. Well, the EU uh, saw that and the Danes, they call them the, the crazy Danes from Denmark, they took all the sunscreens off the shelf when that study was published. And the EU said, wait a minute, Denmark, you, got, you can't do that. So they put all the product back on the shelf, but they did a study. And the study led to an understanding that all of the organic sunscreens get into the blood plasma and into the urine from just being applied on the skin. And they get in in concentrations of parts per trillion and parts per billion that they could measure at the time. And so that study was carried out, I think, and published in 2005. And, of course, that study has been buried like a lot of other things, but it really basically said, hey, whatever you put on your skin will will wind up in your blood and in your blood plasma and in your urine and so, you know, people think about their skin as being impenetrable and it's not, it's a sponge. It works just like a sponge, you know, it brings in some things and it allows things to go out of it, it's your biggest organ. So, as you, and you know more about this than I do, but your, your skin uh, respirates, right? So you can sweat stuff out and you can also allow stuff in and hopefully stuff that's good for you is getting through your skin. And so I would say that there's a high probability that some of the zinc oxide does wind up in your blood, in your blood plasma, uh, especially if it's nano-sized or even if it's micronized zinc oxide, and all of it's micronized. The average mo- um, molecule zinc oxide molecule is 200 nanometers. So there's no question that it does penetrate the skin. How much of it gets into your blood plasma? I don't think anybody's done that study.
0: Uh, it just, you know, we're we're talking much more about zinc, which we've never even spoken about uh, until this terrible viral pandemic. So it yes. just it just kind of um, belied the question or triggered the question more appropriately.
1: Well, so it's th- a great question because because we chelate the zinc oxide with L-arginine, and so my understanding of what happens with zinc and potentially silver as well is that the, the ionophore, which is what zinc and silver are, they're ionophores. The ionophore, once it gets into the cell, basically stops the RNA capabilities of duplication of the virus in the cell. And unfortunately, I'm not an epidemiologist. Everybody's trying to be one right now. Yes. That's not my field of expertise. <laughs> I, wish, I wish right now it was my field of expertise. But, but you know, the, the, the question is, is that real or is it not? Well, I think I sent you a white paper regarding how zinc ionophores work and also how silver ionophores work both to protect the cell and also to stop replication within the cell of viruses and specifically coronavirus virus um have been mentioned and and studied uh, of course not this specific strain uh but you know uh from my perspective it's probably a better thing than the than the quercetin because the quercetin has led uh to to brain damage for some patients and i know that you know the the, the quercetin type product i i think that that might have i mean i know it's good for malaria but I'm not so sure that you'd want to be using it unless you absolutely had to. Uh, And of course, for people who have this thing, maybe they absolutely have to. But the side effects are quite toxic, whereas zinc and silver in in low, low quantities, in other words, low, low dosages, low concentrations. And when I say low concentrations, I mean less than, say, for example, 200 parts per million um, can be very, very beneficial and probably is keeping a lot of people healthy who are taking zinc and quercetin and, and, and other um, uh, supplements to enhance their immune system to this you know, potentially fatal virus.
0: No, I, I think that's so important to bring out. So if we move ahead now from this wonderful topical sunblock that you've created, and the name of your company, Gary, for my listeners, would you tell them where to find your products? Just, we'll repeat it again, but I want them to know now.
1: Sure. It's uh it's three R D, the number three R D, and then Rock, Third Rock. Sun dot uh, com is the name of the company, but thirdrock dot com is where they'll find the website. So it's three R D R-O-C-K, Essentials dot com. That's our that's our storefront website online where you can go and order our stuff directly.
0: Wonderful. So We've covered your sunscreen product. Tell me the other products that you have in your personal care arsenal.
1: Sure. So we make alternatives to Vaseline uh, that we call Neutroleum. And the reason for that is because Vaseline is petroleum jelly, and none of our products are petroleum-based. We say, again, if you wouldn't put it in your mouth, don't put it on your skin, and that holds for our entire product line. So true. Uh, we make all, yeah, and we make alternatives to, um, that to uh, Neosporin. Um, called Nutrispond. And that product uh, actually is wiping out UTI and stopping it from coming back. And we, we actually have a study on that, preclinicals at two nursing care facilities in Bremerson, Washington, um, where, as you can imagine, people who are in nursing care facilities uh, become incontinent, UTI is prevalent, and instead of using antibiotics, um, they use our product and it, it was topically applied directly to the urethra for the female patients and they all recovered immediately and they also prevented it from coming back. That That is-
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's another, probably another topic for another time, but we use the chelated silver oxide for that. Instead of chelating the zinc oxide with L-arginine, as I mentioned for the sunscreen, we chelate our silver oxide with citric acid. And what that does is it makes it the silver oxide bioavailable and it also makes it bioabsorbable and biocompatible and that's how it gets into the cells. So we actually make um, a, a 4,000 part per million concentrate of that product um, and 150 part per million, uh, 16 ounce uh, water soluble product that you can actually drink directly. So those are dietary supplements. And then we make one other product uh, or type of product which is, uh, by the way, the nutrisporn it's both water soluble and a water resistant version. Um, Which is true for the Neutroleum product. We make a water resistant and a water soluble version depending on what you want. And then we also make something called Itch Block, which um, is basically a highly concentrated form of our sunscreen because people were using it to ward off insect bites and bee stings and uh, uh, poison ivy. Uh, Very, very, very effective against poison ivy, which, if you're allergic to poison ivy, uh, there's nothing worse than that. I I can speak from experience.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so, so let me ask you some questions that just kind of popped into my mind. I'm going to go back, if you don't mind, to the sure. sunscreen. I have traditionally been taught and have actually written about this, that the, the mantle of the skin is about 5.5, which is rather acidic, and yet your mm-hmm. sunscreen is alkaline. How do I juxtapose the two?
1: Very good question. So you're absolutely right about that. And what happens is 95% of the sunscreens that are out there, with very few exceptions that I know of, all have a pH of somewhere between five and a half and six and a half and the reason for that is they're all made with oil and water so oil as you probably know better than I do oil becomes rancid uh, over time and that means it becomes more and more acidic so by definition when you take deionized water which is what everybody uses the, the deionized water has a pH normally of around five five and a half because What happens is as soon as the deionized water is deionized, if if it's open to the atmosphere, it brings carbon dioxide in. The carbon dioxide lowers the pH of the water to right around 5, 5.5. So you mix that with an oil that may have a pH as low as 3 or 3.5, and and there's no way you're going to make anything but an acidic product. And yes, it does match the pH of the skin, but what happens is – It's not just a pH issue and acidity. It also has to do with alkalinity and causticity. And so our product has a pH that's way up there. And people say, well, wait a minute. I'm very concerned. That's going to be too caustic. It's going to hurt my skin. It's going to be like Drano on my skin. Well, the answer to that is it's not. And the reason it's not is pH is one thing and causticity is another. And so our product is actually extremely soothing to the skin and actually neutralizes the pH of the skin. Turns out um, when you get a bee sting or an insect bite or or poison ivy or uh, jellyfish, whatever, and you get some type of irregularity on your skin, the pH of your skin at that point changes. The antibodies cause the pH to actually decrease to wipe out any bacterial infection and make it more acidic, which is why things like calamine lotion, which is actually zinc oxide and zinc carbonate, neutralize the pH of the skin as does our sunscreen and our itch block product because our pH is so high it actually neutralizes it gives you instant relief you may remember in the old days uh, we used ammonia to uh, give us immediate relief from the itching well ammonia has a very very high pH like 10 11 and so that's you know neutralizing the pH of your skin actually gives you instant relief and over a period of time uh alkalinity for your skin is is a really nice thing it balances the ph obviously what you normally want is a ph around seven so if you have a ph of five and a half of your skin and a ph of nine or so and as you may may know or your, your listeners may know ph is a logarithmic scale so a ph of nine versus a ph of six you know that's three orders of magnitude more more alkaline than what your skin is and it sounds like absurdity but I can tell you, we've never had any issues with anybody using our high pH products. They're, they're non-comedogenic. They, they don't lead to any kind of skin rash. I've had literally hundreds of people come to me and say, my skin is so sensitive. No matter what I put on it, I break out. And I said, look, take a little bit of this, try it, and then see what happens. And, and, and you know, if, if it works, then the only thing I would say is buy some and use it. And see if that continues to work for you. And I've been—I don't think we've ever had anyone in the ten years we've been selling the sunscreen product come back and say they were allergic to it, that they broke out with it.
0: Well, you're, my understanding is that people also use your sunscreen for other skin conditions. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Sure. A lot of women use it as a base for their makeup. I do know that, um, and of course, I don't have that problem, but. <laughs> there are lots of women who put makeup on every day and they want to have sunscreen protection. They want to have sun protection, but the makeup doesn't provide it. So so that's certainly one useful, usefulness for it. And the other, I think I mentioned was, you know, we had people that were breaking out in hives and had rosacea, for example, and they were using our sunscreen. So that's why we came up with the itch block product, which is just a highly concentrated form of the sunscreen, that happens to be a lot more whitening than our sunscreen, but people don't care about that if they've got, you know, things like rosacea. We've also had people use it as, um, as an acne use for, for getting rid of uh, highly greasy acne, mostly teenagers and younger adults who have acne issues, and uh, they'll take that. They'll put it on at night, um, the, the, the sunscreen and or the itch block, They'll put that on, you know, thing, you know, the pimples or the, the acne scar portions that could lead to scarring. And then in the morning they'll use our Nutrisporin product uh, during the day because that's a clear product. That, you know they don't go around looking like Bozo the Clown or something. So that's another way that people have used our products to help their skin condition.
0: So I want to move into the silver now and have a question about that. You use a chelate made from citric acid. That's kind of a a red flag for some of my listeners. Of course, it's non-GMO citric acid. Can you expand on that?
1: It is non-GMO citric acid. We buy a pure organic non-GMO citric acid, which is not that difficult to get. Of course, the problem with citric acid is most of it's made from corn. And finding non-GMO corn these days, I don't have to tell you it's how so difficult, difficult that is. Very, true. Very difficult. And so the problem, of course, is when you take the corn and you process it highly to remove and, and make a granular white crystal of um, citric acid, the, the, the issue is, yeah, how do you know? you know? How do you really know? And, and the answer is, I don't think you do. I, all I can tell you is that what we purchase says that, and this, the C of A, Certificate of Analysis, says that it is and it's very pure. And uh, the way I make my product is I dissolve the citric acid into hot water. And in fact, distilled hot water. And what happens is if there's any residue or anything in there that's not pure citric acid, you'll know it very quickly. Because citric acid is very, very water soluble. And it's one of the reasons that all biological living cells can absorb citric acid readily and do is because it's, it's so soluble in water. Um, you know, uh, you can take 500 to 1,000 grams of citric acid and solubilize it in 500 grams of water with no problem, and the water looks, if I showed you the water versus the product that had, the, or the solution that had the citric acid and the water in it, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, at least from a color standpoint. It's crystal clear still looks like distilled water but boy if you taste it (laughs) you'll know the difference immediately
0: so how is your silver why is your silver different than all other silvers What's the difference between your silver? And I know we have to be careful in in terms of making claims, but give me me some key differences between what you have, which I understand. And this is something that we're now selling through Uniqi Health System. You've got a chelated silver oxide infusion. How does that stand up against colloidal silver?
1: Well, it's a great question too. So colloidal silver is made completely differently. So colloidal silver... Um, is made in a, well, it depends on the size of how much they're making, but it's, it's it basically, I would have your listeners think about it as an aquarium. And in the aquarium, they stick two electrodes. One's positively charged, one's negatively charged, and one of those electrodes is silver coated. And then what you have to do is you have to put electricity between the electrodes and generate electric power between the electrodes. And what happens is the, the, the electrons, they'll migrate from a positive to a negative charge or vice versa, depending on how you set up your your current. And what happens is the silver electrode, the silver coated electrode, those silver ions actually come off of the uh, silver uh, coated cathode normally electrode, and they go disperse into the water. And they usually use deionized or distilled water. And what happens is it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to create a very low concentration of silver ions in water, which is known as colloidal silver. Those, those silver particles that, that go into this, this pure water bath, those are known as colloidal silver particles. And the reason they're called that is they're inorganic particles. They're just silver or silver oxide particles, and they're ionized because of the current, but they don't have any organic component. So they're just silver oxide floating in water as little tiny tiny nanoparticles of silver oxide and at 10 parts per million which is what a lot of people sell you know they're selling 99.999 percent water and 0.001 percent of silver ion now it's true that those silver ions have benefits health benefits they do wipe out bacteria infectious bacteria and other bacteria Um, however they have no organic component so The difference between what we do and what the colloidal silver people do is that we don't use two electrodes and water. We can make our product instantaneously, and right now that seems to be important because uh, the coronavirus is making people take all the colloidal silver off the shelves at places like the Vitamin shop and Whole Foods. Well, we're not gonna run out of supply because we make it from a silver oxide powder. So we actually take a silver oxide powder and we chelate that powder with the citric acid to form an inorganic organic molecule known as silver citrate so our silver citrate is not identical to a silver ion however it it performs essentially identically in terms of how it wipes out infectious bacteria and apparently how it wipes out certain viruses um the difference between ours and colloidal is we have that organic component, which is the citric complex, that citric acid component, which is organic made of carbon hydrogen or and oxygen, which is what we're made of. And when that gets into the cell, first it attaches to the cell wall and it's bioactive and bioavailable. So it can do that and then change, um, the, 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 um, change the properties of the cell wall. And also if it then it can get into the cell and also change the properties inside the cell. And it can do that much more readily than colloidal silver. Colloidal silver I, I, I tend to think of it more like vitamin C. It goes right through the cell. Um and so and it's water soluble, so it'll go through the cell. And and the way that those silver that colloidal silver works is more about particle size. So those are nanometer particles that transport through the cell. But they don't stick around, so they get sort of pretty much pushed out of your system, whereas our 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 chelated silver oxide is going to stick around on the cell longer and in the cell longer. And, of course, eventually the cells will die, and you'll flush those out of your body, and you'll get renewed cells. Um, so there is a real difference between what we are um, putting out there and, and what the colloidal silver folks are doing.
0: So what are the uses for your particular chelated silver? Are people, they're certainly using it internally. Can it be used topically? Can it be used as a mouthwash, an ear wash, a saline solution?
1: Yes to all of those things. Um, great question. So we use the chelated silver oxide to make the Nutrisporin product, as opposed to Neosporin, which is, which is a triple biotic cream that uses antibiotics to wipe out certain strains of bacteria, but not MRSA. Our stuff wipes MRSA out because the silver oxide, the chelated silver oxide that we put in the neutrosporin wipes out all infectious bacteria. We haven't found any bacteria that can stand up to it as well as mold, mildew, and fungus. So you could use our deodorant spray, for example, which we also make with chelated silver oxide. Um, You could use that for a multitude of purposes instead of just under your arms. Uh, You could use it anywhere. What happens is when bacteria dies, it causes odor. So we call our deodorant spray and our breath spray third rock, odor block, <laughs> and we make a breast so spray with silver oxide, chelated silver oxide, and we make a deodorant spray with chelated silver oxide, and we're going to be making a silver spray with, silver, uh, with chelated silver oxide, which is an everything spray. You could use it as a disinfectant on the plane. You could use it, you know, you could have it in your purse and use it to spray anywhere where you think there may be germs or bacteria that you don't want to come in contact with. Will it wipe out the virus? We don't have data that says it will. We, all, we don't have data that says it won't. Uh, we have white papers that says that, you know, silver oxide will wipe out viruses and that zinc oxide will wipe out viruses. But those were studies done by other people at other times and for not the current virus. So, you know, all I can say is read the white papers, not make any claims. We're not telling anybody that this does. I mean, it's one of those things where you read it and you think for yourself. Um, but getting back to the other uses of the chelated silver oxide, yes, yes. Uh, because of the Nutrisporin you can use it topically because of the deodorant spray you can use it topically the breath spray of course is an is an answer to something that we used to use which was called banaca which uh, you may remember when you were oh, you oh, know, yes. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. <laughs> yes yes and that product of course is full of uh it, you wouldn't use it anymore because if you read the label on what's in banaca you would never put it in your mouth again <laughs>
0: Boy, oh boy, that takes me back to the day. My gosh. So so in, so in closing, Dr. Groon, question yeah. for you. Third Rock. So you called your company Third Rock. And of course, that's planet Earth. Is there a hidden meaning in that that I've missed?
1: Well, yes and no. It was a a trip to the beach with my then 13 year old daughter. And I said, we need a name for the sunscreen. And those days we could call it sunblock. You can't do that anymore. And I said, well, what about third rock sunblock? And the only thing is you have to know my oldest daughter to get a response from her is not easy. And she said, well, at least it rhymes, dad.
0: (laughs) It It does. It does.
1: And the other thing about it is that we always said we wanted to have earth grown ingredients only whatever that means, because we, because the word all natural, as you know, and your listeners know all too well, all natural, is just a marketing term that means nothing. So we wanted to take it to the next level. And I write patent applications and do patent work for, for living. This is only a hobby that became a business. So in patents, you have to be very specific about what you mean. And the word all natural would never fly at the patent office. So we came up with the, with the concept of earth grown ingredients only. And therefore again, third rock.
0: So what's on the horizon for you as we close out this wonderful episode?
1: Well, right now, making sure that all my friends and family are safe from this ridiculousness and providing them with anything and everything they could possibly need to improve their immune system and support it. And then, of course, there's a lot of new products. People have come to me about hand sanitizers. That's a whole other thing. People have come to me and said, could you help us make a, you know, a CBD version of this? Um, so there's a ton of products that we could make and a ton of supplements that we could create. Um, But, you know, for now, we're trying to just concentrate on growing our little business and helping as many people as we can.
0: Oh, how wonderful. And tell us where, again, we can find you.
1: Sure. It's uh, www.3rd, for the number three, R-D, Third Rock, R-O-C-K, Essentials.com. That's our website. Uh, we're on Amazon too, but we would prefer people to go to our website because Amazon takes 60% of our gross. So, and then we do have an affiliate program if you want to, uh, if you want to be able to get big discounts on our product, we, we'd rather give you and your, uh, listeners the discount than, than, than have Amazon take our money from us. So thirdrockessentials.com is the place to go.
0: Wonderful. So I want to thank you so much for being my guest and translating so much of this science into layman's terms that's a real art. And I really am very grateful for this. So I want to say thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you to Dr. Gary Grun. I'm so pleased that he's got such great products on the market that are so earth friendly, earth grown and earth friendly. And I want to say goodbye to all of you. Anne Louise Gittleman here with another wonderful episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I'll see you all next time.